And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with PressBox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very good morning to each and every one of you on this Saturday, the 26th of January, 2019. The Bat Around is on the air and uh, open for your listening and viewing pleasure for the next two hours on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash pressboxsports. Or if you want to just listen, go to pressboxonline.com slash radio. But I guess if you're listening or watching already, you already knew that. Right, Craig? Right, but we want you to share it and also like Like it. it. That's right. Thank you. If you were on Facebook, uh, because that's how we drive listenership. Yeah. Is our, by the way. Viewership. By the way, is our good friend Casey Willett, do you know, is he listening out there? He may be. Yeah. You know, I've had contact with Casey this week. Right. Made sure that he got the crab cakes that you and I sent him. Right. That we paid for. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, he thanked me very much for that. <laughs> I love I see this big a big picture on Facebook like 10 days ago or a week ago. And look what I'm having for dinner. Right. You know, look what's for dinner here. Exactly. No mention of Craig or Stan. No, no. Well, you know, he he, he thanked me online, and then, you know, I said, did you get yeah. the crab cakes? Everything all right with him? He said, yeah. yeah. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah. What, this- what did the card say? To huh? Kid? What did the card? Because you handled ordering them, right? I said, Casey, you know, have a wonderful day, Craig Heist. <laughs> so I never knew I did it. No, not, not a damn one, no. <laughs> <laughs> Not in any way, shape, and or I, form. And I'll bet he thinks that you can just call up Pete yeah. or Nick and say, yeah. hey, send Since. a half dozen crab cakes and it never costs anything. Right, exactly. All right, anyway. Well, thank you for your service, Casey, <laughs> seriously. And we still love you. Uh, hey, this is a good week well, for you. Well, at least I love him anyway. <laughs> this is a good week for you and me. And it's interesting because, you know, I'm not Mike's biggest fan as a guy. Yeah. You are a big fan of both the pitcher and the guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the pitcher, and I I do try and pride myself, Craig. I thought – I don't know how many articles you read this week about this. Did you read the New York Post article by Michael did. K? I did. Jeez, <coughs> what, a, me. Okay. what a blowhard. Blowhard, and it's all about him. Right. And I'm going to tell you another thing. Yeah. This happened in 2001, and I have experience about it because right. this happened in 2001. And he was standing in the food line at Camden Yards as we're all in line going through. Right. And he's talking to Helen and Hazel. Right. Okay, who go back to Memorial Stadium. Right, sure. Two gals that serve food to everybody. <clears throat> standing in line, and I'm about three people away, and I'm listening to him tell them what a bad guy Messina is. Because evidently he didn't want to do an interview interview or the interview that he did, uh, Mike was kind of standoffish about it. It came after a night where he had pitched very well. And then Mike basically said to him afterward, or he said to Mike afterwards, well, you know, it looked like this was too painful for you to do. So I'll never interview you again. Right. And And he said he never talked to him again. Well, you know, that's his own damn fault. I'm sorry. That's his own damn fault. Does it have to be with you? And I looked at him in line. Well, here's the deal. I looked at him in line and I said, why, Michael? I said, because he didn't want to talk to you or he didn't want to have an interview with you. I said, 
get to know the guy, number one. Get to understand that he's not New York, okay? And, and I, you know, I just I kind of blasted him while he was standing in line. Good for you. And but, he but, said to me, know. he said, well, he's just not a real good guy. I said, why? Because he won't talk to you? Right, right. But here's what I found fascinating. What was the purpose of Michael Kay going public with that story a day or two after? It was to make... It was to diminish the man. Diminish Mike the man, Nusina. diminish the accomplishment, and, he, and put the spotlight on him. Uh, right. And you know what he did? He made himself look about one inch tall. Yeah. I thought Michael K. really Pop came off ass. looking like an ass in that story. All right? Uh, but we're going to have his... We can ask Susan Waldman about that later. <laughs> she probably loves uh, yeah, I'm Michael I'm sure he K. does. Yeah, but she I mean, likes... And on the surface, Michael's a good guy, but... Yeah. He's so I, wrong I, I, on this. He's definitely wrong on that. And and what he's wrong on, maybe maybe I'd say, you know something, Michael Kay, you're right. He's not a great guy. I didn't get to know him. He never was really particularly nice to me. But why bring that up? Yeah, they, as if that's somehow important whether a guy belongs in the Hall of Fame or not. Right. And then I love this other thing. His other thing. He goes, "Who would you rather have? Who would you want on the mound?" If if your yeah. life depended on it, I'd take Kurt Schilling, yeah, or, or David Cohn or Andy Pettit. <clears throat> right. Well, you know what? Not with Kurt Schilling, but with David Cohn and Andy Pettit, they're not going to be Hall of Famers. Right? Exactly. Okay. Anyway, we got that off our chest. One broadcaster we know that did like Mike quite a bit is Fred Manfra, mm-hmm. former Oriole broadcaster, Oriole Hall of Famer, and he will join us in just a few minutes. In about nine minutes, he'll okay. join us at ten fifteen. Right around 10.30, and we're going to make our interviews a little bit shorter today in the first segments. Fred Manford is going to join us for about 12, 13 minutes. Susan Waldman going to join us for about 10, 12 minutes. Then our good friend Richard Justice joins us. And Susan Waldman, by the way, a Yankee broadcaster. Along with John I, Sterling. Along with John Sterling, the only woman that I know of in the Major League Broadcast booth on a regular basis. And i got to tell you, I'll bet she's excited that Musina's going into the Hall of Fame. Well, I think so, too. And she got to know Mike down through the years. And, yep. I mean, you know, and what I tried to convey to Michael Kay that day right. was get to know no, him. Right. I said he is not New York. He comes from Montoursville. He's played his whole career here in a blue-collar town. Right. And I said get to know him. And by the time, you know, 03, 04 I rolled around, he was basically – the writers, the media liked him. In he New York. liked him and their go-to yeah. guy because yeah. he he was a players' union rep, right? And yeah. you know, and it just <clears throat> uh, you know, look, he could be an engaging guy. He's a smart guy. There's no question about it. Anyway, Richard Justice of MLB.com is going to join us. Then our good friend from Arizona, Andrew Stetka, he's going to rub it in on how warm it is out in Arizona. Yeah, that's the way he is. Uh, we got to find out from him why he's not coming in for Fan Fest. Right? Right. And when he's going to be back in Baltimore. Right. So, anyway, we'll talk to Andrew Stetka. We know he's a big Mike Mussina fan, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you uh, know, here, here's the bottom line. <clears throat> Pardon me. For those, of who, for those of us who covered Mike and saw him pitch, I think we're all fans. Yeah. Really. Now, could, could Mike rub you the wrong way? Absolutely. There's no, you know, but again, it's one of those things where you kind of got to get to know the guy. You know, and I, I admit I didn't get to know guys that well. Mm-hmm. I was never that guy who was going to get to know the players that well because I didn't cover them the way that you do. Not that you don't have opinions, but my my thing was 
that every night I was going to go on the air, I wanted to have an unfettered opinion because uh, the fact I didn't like somebody, you mm-hmm. know, or like them or not like them. I just wanted to talk about them as players. You're right, and I totally get that. All right, anyway, then finally we're going to wrap up, and we urge all of you, in addition to liking the show and sharing the show on Facebook Live, we urge you to read Mark Mucina's piece in the Sun Gazette, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing that's the Montoursville paper. I don't know, but I'm a guessing that's uh, probably the case. Are you suddenly Italian? I'm a I'm a guessing. I'm a guessing. Yeah. I'm a guessing. Well, it's kind of like she pronounces bagels. Right. How do you pronounce bagels, <clears throat> Brittany? Bagels. Bagels. I, I've never had a bagel. bagel. <laughs> They might, I, I don't hear I it. I don't less, know what I'm doing They wrong. might be less fat. I've, I've begged several times in my <laughs> life, but I've never had a bagel. <laughs> Beg for bagels. <laughs> yeah. Well, we had breakfast today. Oh, well, no, that's good. Yeah, yeah. Good for you. All right. Anyway, uh, Mark Mussina wrote a piece that really, really moved me quite a bit. And I, uh, Steve Jeppy sent it to me. And I know Steve loved Mussina, the pitcher. Didn't know Mike that well, but he goes... I don't care if he doesn't go in as an Oriole. I don't care. But but he ended up being very moved by that piece because Steve lost a brother about five, six years ago, and it really meant a lot to him to read that piece. Yeah, and it's very good. Kind of explains how Mark was involved in just following his brother's career. And, and, and feeling like he was part of it well, in yeah. a lot of ways. You know, <clears throat> you know and it's interesting uh, Mike, uh, Doc Holliday's uh, uh, family well, right. has decided that um, he will go into the Hall of Fame. Capless. Cap- well, no, with a cap, logo-less. but no logo, logo list, yes. And Mike will do the same thing. Yeah. And you know something? And I, I think, think there's that only that two others. Uh, and, and I think in this day and age, uh, really, we're talking about players that played 15, 20 years ago, that, that really there's nothing wrong with that because why should a player – have to offend one fan base that he liked. Right. You know, exactly. So, uh, I and, think and that's uh, great. And as Mike said, you know, I wouldn't be in the Hall of Fame without, you both know, organizations. both organizations. Yeah. Right. yeah. So Tony LaRussa and Greg Maddox being the other two. Okay. So those are the only four will yeah. be Halliday, Musina, LaRussa, and Maddox. Maddox. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, by the way, I know we're going to do all Musina the entire show today. But a fascinating story out of Tampa. Ed Encina broke this story, uh, I think, uh, that down in Tampa uh, at Tropicana Field, the Trop, they are this year going to become the first cashless ballpark in in any sport, major league sport. It'll be interesting to see how that works out. Uh, I don't like it at all. I'm not a big fan of it myself, but again, I'd have to see over time. Because you and I don't get credit that easily. Well, that's that's true. (laughs) Anyway, uh, and again, you know, expected to go to the ballpark and only use your credit card. I mean, it it almost seems like a uh, something we do anyway and take for granted. But if I've got cash, if I've got got cash, I'm going to pay cash for something. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Or suppose, I mean, it presupposes that everybody that goes to a game has a credit card. Right. Um, so what does a kid do? Like, you know, you send your kid out, you got to give them your credit card? In this day and age, that kid's probably better off than we are as far as that goes. True, true, true. Anyway, um, your thoughts uh, on a personal level about Mike Mussina going into the Hall of Fame, Well, along the- with... 
Edgar Martinez, Roy Halladay, and Mariano Rivera. Well, you know, it's it, and I've heard this silly argument about, you know, with with Mo going yeah. in. I've heard this silly argument about him being a unanimous choice. That, well, Aaron wasn't unanimous. Ruth wasn't unanimous. You know, all all the guys, all the greats, DiMaggio. You know, in our in our lifetime, in our era, I should say. You know, you look at Ken Griffey Jr., you look at Cal Ripken, you look at Tom Seaver. Those guys weren't unanimous either. But for Mo to go in unanimous, I think it just kind of tells the rags to riches story from his upbringing in the Dominican straight on through, uh, you know, his, his success at the major league level. He is as humble a person as there is, Stan, and I, I feel really good about him going in, even though he only pitched – as a reliever, as a closer, going in unanimously. The question is now, what happens next year with Derek Jeter in that regard? You mean Derek Jeter? Derek Jeter, yes, number two. And uh, whether he goes in unanimously, and I think he's got a pretty good shot at it. But yeah, I he think, probably does. I think this now kind of puts to bed and to rest all of the, you know. Were all the, there were reports earlier in the voting that there were a couple people that weren't going to vote for I, There Mariana. was, yeah, and it turned out to be he was, a, he was a, you know, a 100%er. 100%er. As far as Mike is concerned, though, I was in the uh, Capitals media room getting ready to cover the Caps game that night. Right. And, uh, you know, as soon as Jeff Idelson said his knuckle curve ball was one of the most devastating things, I went, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I feel very good for Mike. And I texted him and I said, you know, so damn happy for you. And, uh, you know, I guess he'll come on the show when I'm away sometime. Um, he may. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, I, I just feel real good for him because. I know what I saw when I covered him, and you know, and you know as well as anybody, I'm the furthest thing from a Yankee fan. Uh, there, there isn't anybody further. Okay, but who I, do you hate more, Duke, Carolina, or Penn State, or or the Yankees? I think they're right all right up right there on the hate on the hate monitor. But I, I just felt so good for him, and the fact that he. Uh, was able to compile the numbers he did. I saw the the you know a good portion of the career. Yep. I rooted for him every fifth day when he played in New York uh, because I know the story about why he left here and all the yeah. circumstances behind it. And I, I've never understood, and I'm with Glenn Clark on this, I've just never understood the people in Baltimore – who hate him for going to the New York Yankees yeah. and so-called traitor in this. Anything couldn't be further from the truth. I agree. Joining us now is, first of all, a voice that already is going to make me start to feel better and warmer. Yes. Uh, and that's maybe because he lives in Tampa now. It's Fred Manfra, Orioles Hall of Fame broadcaster. How are you, Fred? Hey, guys. How are you? And, and don't get too complacent about temperatures down here because right now it's about 50 degrees, oh. and all week long it's only supposed to be in the upper 60s. So I won't be able to gloat too much about what you guys are having up in Maryland. No, but knowing Florida <laughs> residents like I do, having covered spring training down there, especially in central Florida, Fred, uh, up around Melbourne, I can tell you that that's that's jacket weather, that's sweater yeah. weather. Or coat weather. Or coat weather, yeah. yes, exactly. Hey, Fred, when, when we got the news the other day that, Mike, I was out of town all week, so I apologize for calling as late in the week as I did, 
but one of the first people I thought of was you because you broadcast his games for so many years. Uh, what what are your immediate uh, thoughts on Mike Mussina getting into the Hall of Fame? I, I'm very happy. I, I, I like Mike. Uh, I think that he was one of the best pitchers of his era. And I can describe it. Let's pick out, say, four words. Number one, intelligent. Number two, competitive. Uh, you can also talk about him being a great team player. Believe it or not, people may think that he was an individual, which he was, very individualistic. Mm-hmm. But he was also a great team member and consistent. Every time he went out to the mound, you figured that you were going to see one heck of a pitch ball game by Mike Messina. You know, the, the stat that blows me away when I started, because I, I'm a firm believer that Mike kind of got screwed by the, the Hall of Fame voters. I thought he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the, the number that really stood out for me, Fred, and this is about what you talk about with the consistency and the competitiveness, he pitched for 10 years with the Orioles. The composite winning percentage of those Oriole teams was 5'11", and his winning percentage was 645. I don't know that you're going to find somebody over a 10-year period who outdistanced his team's winning percentage by that much. Well, that's, that's right, Stan. Like I said, every time he took the mound, whether the Orioles were in a downturn during the course of a season, which all teams go through, you figured it was going to be Messina who was going to be the stopper. He was going to be the guy that went out there and shut out the other team for at least seven or eight innings, and you figured you had a chance to end a losing run. So, you know, that is what you look for in a pitcher, and that is what you don't find today in so many young pitchers and so many older pitchers where you can figure every game that guy is going to go out there and give you the greatest chance to win. One of the great things about him, Fred, and you watched him obviously just like I did, but one of the great things about him, and I think what made him so special, was the fact that you brought up the word intelligent, and... You know, he would go out there some days without his best stuff. He figured out a way. And I, we, we always used to tease him about, you know, making it up as you go. You know, and he, and he knew some days when he went out there, well, this isn't working and this isn't working, so I better try something else. Well, that's correct. And that's what pitching is all about because you talk to anybody. You talk to a Jim Palmer. You talk to a, a guy like a Burt Blylevin or a, a Jack Morris. And they all tell you, you know, there are certain days you go out on that mound and you don't have your best pitch. So you better find out what you do have and how you can utilize that against the opposition. And Mike always seemed to find that way, whether it was a knuckle curveball, a breaking ball, a fastball. He always found the pitch that was the out pitch during that particular outing. Yeah. You know, well, you know what's fascinating about him? I was a, a, a just-up-and-coming talk show guy on WFBR radio, and I got the drive-time position when we lost the Orioles' rights, I did a 5-7 to seven show, and I had Mike's dad. First of all, is Mike's dad still alive? No. He passed away. Yeah. Uh, I had Mike's dad on when the Orioles drafted him in 19, was it 87 or 88? Yeah. And because the Orioles had drafted him very highly that year out of high school, and Edward Bennett Williams really wanted him. And he, he promised Mr. Messina that he would pay, that the Orioles would pay his college tuition whenever he wanted to go to college. And I remember Mike's dad saying, 
Well, I've done fairly well. I may not be Edward Bennett Williams, but I was a lawyer. <laughs> I told Mr. Williams, we can afford to pay for his college too. Right. And, right. Uh, and they didn't come to an agreement then. It was very unusual to dip back in that same pool again, Fred, isn't it? Well, yes, it is. But then when you have a picture of the quality of Mike Messina, if you have a second go-around to get him, you're yep. going to try to get him yep. and hope the teams in front of you don't have that opportunity. You know the story about Eddie Farmer, who is now a broadcaster for sure. the White Sox and, of course, a one-time pitcher for the Orioles, one-time big league pitcher. He also worked as an Orioles, quote, scout at one point mm -hmm. and scouted Mike Messina. He brags about that, and he tells the story that uh, his final scouting assignment, supposedly, to look at Mike Messina, Mike did not pitch well, but the Orioles encouraged him to go back and watch Messina pitch again. He kind of reluctantly did and then had his eyes opened once again to the effectiveness of a Mike Messina and what potential he displayed to be as a big leaguer, and that's why the Orioles, with his recommendation and uh, several other recommendations, obviously, drafted Mike Messina out of Stanford. I remember, I remember and, and Fred, you may remember this game, the inning in two-thirds when he got blasted and got knocked uh. out of the game. We're in the clubhouse afterwards, and everybody's waiting to talk to him. He slammed a, or he shut the door, the locker door up above his uh, locker, and he turned, just turned around. Nobody asked a question. He just turned around. He looked at all of us and said, the worst athletic performance of my life at any level, high school, college, little league, any time. Worst, and then he walked off. <laughs> well, uh, that, that was Mike. He didn't make excuses. You, you never heard, even when he had that blister, you remember yeah. when they were people were telling him to put it in pickle, uh, pickle brine right, and all right. kinds of things? He, he didn't make excuses. And then, uh, as Stan and I talked yesterday, we talked about two things. Number one, that uh, fight that evolved against the Seattle Mariners. Bill Hasselman charged the mound. And then I think something that went on, it seemed like a half an hour, that uh, conflagrations broke out all oh, over God. the playing field. Norm Charlton, one of the biggest precipitators of the fight, and even Elrod Hendricks, Mr. Elrod, who is <laughs> the friend of everyone, right. was involved in a situation with Norm Charlton. And then, as Stan brought it up yesterday about that line drive off the eye uh, socket yeah. of Mike off were you, the bat of were you Sandy there? Alomar. Were you and there, Craig? Read, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he had just come back from missing two starts because of, I think, the blister or the, the wart on his finger. And he came in, and everybody thought, oh, my gosh, I hope Mike has not lost an eye. Obviously, right. he didn't, fortunately. He did break a bone underneath the eye. And then, what was it, two or three starts later, he was ready to go. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Fred, that fight, uh, when, you f when you remember back to it, and you and I were talking about this, I, I remember that Chris Basio was the starting pitcher for the Mariners that day. And when you talk about throwing at hitters, usually you think of headhunting. I remember that particular game, Basio threw at the ankles of about three or four Orioles. And it was always my opinion that Rick Sutcliffe said to Musina, it's time to pay them back. Mm -hmm. and, well, and, it, yeah. if you review that in your mind or on uh, the, the Internet, you see Sut, he is right there in the middle of everything. right. right. And he was trying to, you know, after a while, I think maybe he said to me, if, in fact, what you say happened, he's right. saying, uh-oh, 
oh, what did I start here? Right, exactly. Because it was going all over the ballpark, from the third base coach's box in front of the visitor's dugout over to the first base side, then out at second base. It was just amazing. It seemed it would calm down, and then all of a sudden it would blow up again. And it was one of the most bizarre days at Oriole Park at Camden Yards I ever witnessed. And something that I don't think a lot of people know about, which I found out on the MLB channel this week, was that Harold Reynolds was hit by Bozio in that game. And, and here's Harold, who was a... Uh, That's who was he threw at his ha- ankle. Ha- Harold, yeah. was, Harold was a longtime Seattle Mariner before he got to Baltimore. Right. Right, right. And the, and the Mariners, uh, you know, again, I, I think David Segui was there as well. Yeah. Who, you know, you just had so many guys involved in little fights. It wasn't one of those typical baseball fights where you see two guys engage in a little bit of throwing and missing. But these guys were actually landing punches. You didn't have many guys bear-hugging each other. They were actually going at it. That's how high the temper uh, on each, in each dugout was. And I remember that specifically because I was watching it from home. It was a Sunday afternoon game. And I remember Mel Proctor, who was doing the then, I think it was home team sports, he's going, where are the, I mean, he must have said this ten times, where are the police? My God, where are the police? <laughs> Well, that, that was the time when you only had to worry about streakers going on exactly, the field. So exactly. you, you didn't have to worry about idiotic people who have been had, had too many beers at the ballpark running across the field or, or, or trying to shake hands with somebody. And so they didn't have that same police presence as they do yep. now and also the private security guard presence at the yep. ballpark. By the way, Fred, I'd like to apologize for that day anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, they say when they arrested you, Craig, it was for lack of evidence. Well, they, oh, wow. Oh, he got you. Good oh. zinger. Good zinger. <laughs> I knew hey, there was a reason hey, I missed you. Hey, <laughs> there, there were two other things about that fight. I always blame Jeff Tackett for not being, he was the catcher that day. Well, you know, yesterday after we talked about that, I went back and watched that. Right. And I watched Hasselman, who was not a very fast guy. He no. broke out of that third base side batter's yeah, he box did get down like there, Jesse but... Owens sprinting <laughs> to the mound. So I don't think Jeff had an opportunity or realized yep. that that was about to happen. But, yeah, Hasselman had some of the greatest moves of any halfback or fullback yep. in football as he broke out of that box heading toward Moose. And the other little side story of that, and, Craig, you remember this, is Cal Ripken. Got oh, hurt, yeah, he got, got hurt. He, in he that was in the fight. bottom of that pile, yeah. yeah. And, and well, you remember Richie Bansells, and, and Richie and I are great friends. Richie said after that game he was concerned that the streak was about to come yep. to an end, but miraculously, yep. the next game, Cal was in the lineup and ready to go. Thank God for the off day on Monday. <laughs> yes, correct. Hey, Fred, before we let you go, and we really appreciate you giving us some time this morning, we're going to get another broadcaster, Susan Waldman, who got to watch Moose up in New York for the eight seasons. He I should there. give you a different perspective of Certainly. Moose. Certainly. But I do want to ask you, what do you expect out of Moose um, in his speech? Well, I think he's going to be gracious. Uh, remember when uh, Moose was inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame? Very gracious to Orioles. And, and, I, and I, I do, I, I heard you guys talking before we came on about, I, I, I never was one of those fans that begrudged Moose leaving Baltimore. He, what, made $10 million more with the Yankee contract. Yep. I would have loved to have seen him in Baltimore, but I always would talk to fans and say, look, if you were working for a company that, 
you liked working for and the fan and you mm-hmm. enjoyed, but if somebody came across the street and said, "I'm going to give you X amount of dollars more," what would you do? Yep. And nine out of ten of those people said, "Hey, I would take the money and leave." Well, I said. Unfortunately, that's what happened in that situation. The Yankees wanted Moose, and he anchored their pitching yep. staff, among other great pitchers that yep. they had at that time. Yep. And look, he went to the postseason. Look what he did as a Yankee. So I'm happy for Mike Messina. All right, Fred, we're going to leave it at that, and uh, maybe we'll touch base with you. Uh, will we see you down in Sarasota at all? Oh, you got it. I'll be down there. I, I, I won't know many people uh, <laughs> in the clubhouse. But I'll be down there, and I'll be looking forward to seeing what the, the, the new Oriole tact will be this year. And, I, you know, we saw a ball club, and I live with a ball club here in Tampa Bay, that has done it many ways like the Orioles will have to do it. And they'll have to do it from rebuilding, farm system. We saw what Houston did, but the Tampa Bay Rays, for a team that is not a big market team yep. and doesn't have the money that maybe the Orioles might have through the network, they have been able to win some ball games, and let's see if the Orioles, with their new general manager and their new front office staff, will be able to start that type of a situation and create another Orioles great tradition. Fred, I urge you to go on Amazon and buy a copy. You can probably get it for ten, twelve dollars of a book called Astro Ball, written by Ben Reiter, R E I T E R. It's sort of the Money Ball of the Astros. Okay. A fascinating read. I'm about a third of the way through it. It's really entertaining. Now, before we leave, I have one question. What do you think of analytics? I'm, a, I'm an embracer of analytics. I think that they're vitally important, but I think you need the combination of the scouting and the analytics together. And I am, I, a, I am a fan of analytics to a certain degree, but I still think the eye test is what I trust the most, especially when it comes to scouts. And because of analytics, a lot of scouts, Fred, have lost their jobs. No well, that's point. correct. And, and, you know, I feel that there has to be a combination because a computer does not tell you what's inside of a guy's heart. Nope. Read, and, read this book. I urge you to read okay. it. It's called Astro Ball. It's a New York Times bestseller by Ben Ryder. All right? Uh, but, by the way, I had dinner with Sam Perlazzo the other night, and Sam sends his regards to everybody back in Baltimore. That's great. That's great. Stay well, Fred, and we'll talk to you in spring training. Always a pleasure, guys. Look All forward right. to seeing you. All right. Boy, my his voice already reminds me of the baseball, baseball. season. Exactly. Yeah. All right, we're going to make our connection with Susan Waldman, Ms. Susan Waldman, uh, and talk to her a little bit so about Mike Musina. Mike gets in, and right away on my Facebook feed, Susan pops up a message and says, Little Moosey. <laughs> That's what she calls you. <clears throat> I don't know whether she calls me Neither that. Neither Little yeah. Moosey. All right. Well, anyway, I know she's pretty fond of Mike Musina, mm-hmm. and she's fond of anybody that wears the pinstripes. Yeah, right? well, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, let me, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you this. Hate the organization all you want yeah. as an Oriole fan, but I will say this. When it comes to remembering their history right. in terms of what they do to honor their history with awards presentations and things of that nature, nobody, nobody, does, nobody it. does it better than the New York Yankees. All right, why don't you introduce uh, our both our friend, but your very good friend, <laughs> well, Ms. Waldman. She is part of the Yankees radio broadcast team along with John Sterling, and she is Susan Waldman. Susan, good morning. How are you? Well, good morning, gentlemen. I am great. Everybody good down in Baltimore? Yes, we are. It's a fan fest down here in Baltimore starting up uh, about 11 o'clock. 
Craig and I are both going to get there in a little bit, but we got this little radio show to do. Uh, first of all, how are you coming along? You had eye surgery. Is it is it, is it coming along? Well, just because it's the three of us just just listening here, yeah. I'm fine. Thank you. I had I had lens replacement surgery, um, so I wouldn't so I'd be able to see what is actually going on. All right, that sounds great, and we wish you a speedy, speedy recovery. You're, you're going your you're to realize you've been in the booth with Mike. I mean, with John Sterling all that time now. You know that, don't you? Uh huh. I do indeed. <laughs> uh, your thoughts when you heard the news on uh, Mike Mussina getting in after five I, I, other I'll tries? I'll tell you, and um, I I really loved being around Mike Mussina. I just loved everything about him. But I'll tell you, when you broadcast a game, uh, Mike Mussina was so brilliant out there. What I'd loved about Moose is the first inning, he'd go out there and he'd figure out what is working for him, how to set up that knuckle curve, if it's working, where it's working, etc. And then you'd see a little, that little smirk. Remember that little smirk? Mm -hmm. He would have that tiny little smirk when he got all of the pitches and he knew what was there for the day. And then you'd see him go about it and sort of carve people up more often than not. Uh, he was tremendous to watch. Every fifth day, he was so much fun because you just knew that that mind was working along with the, you know, the technical part and the physical part. But you'd see that Stanford mind going through it. And I just thought he was fun, and um, I, I, liked, I liked him a lot. Just a model of consistency throughout. I mean, you look at the... Two 19-win seasons, three 18, two more 17, pitching the whole year or the whole career in the American League East and 60% of the starts between the yard here in Baltimore, Yankee Stadium, and Fenway Park. Uh, you know, a lot of people question the numbers and whether he's an actual Hall of Famer. Well, we don't have to worry about that anymore. He is. But, you know, I've listened to that for years, and I just never understood the people that didn't think he was. Well, you know what, Craig, because I think um, anybody who just looks at stats and just looks at wins and losses and all that yada, yada, yada stuff isn't, isn't taking into account, and you just said it, and it's perfect. Where he pitched, the era he pitched in, yeah. never a whiff of steroid use with him, where he was, he faced American League East batters for his entire career at a time when people were doing things to be better better hitters. I just, I never understood that argument because, you know, if you don't take the whole thing into account, what's the point? I mean, you can sit here and you can go through stats and RP, you know, and, and uh, whips and wars and all that junk that they do now. But if you're not watching the game and you don't understand who he's facing and what he's doing and where he's pitching, you don't, you don't get the whole story. And, and that's the thing about Messina that I always thought he would be a Hall of Famer. And um, I was just so glad. The thing about, about him, and as you know, um, from the first time he said to you, is there a question in there? I mean, he could be a little bit of a curmudgeon. <laughs> but if you just sort of tap that little curmudgeonly shoulder, he was—he made me laugh. He was just a riot and very, very brilliant, and you could talk yep. to him about anything. And, um, you know, everybody's got stories about Mucina, but he was... To me, I, I just loved being around him. I loved watching him pitch and his dedication to his craft and to his teammates. Um, there were many times I saw him sitting in corners with young pitchers, 
and either reaming them out about something or um, talking about you know what we could do to do do things better. He very he did this very very quietly. I think unless you really looked underneath, as I know you guys did, um, you'd think that this was an entirely different person than what we got to know and who we got to know through all those nearly two decades in the American League. Well, when he turned around and he looked at me and he says, "Craig, that's not a question." That kind of <laughs> that kind of form that kind of formed a very good relationship down through the years. <laughs> it was, you know, but he was, but he was right, and some of the people that are yeah. reporting now should actually take a look at that. But everybody's got great stories about Messina, um, like that. About he would, he was always trying to get everybody um, to do their best. I think he just didn't like mediocrity, and he was telling you, Craig Heist, yeah. you can do better, right? And you have. And that's and that's kind of a great thing. I don't remember you ever making just a statement anymore and not asking a question. There was always a question mark at the end of, of every time you asked a question to anybody, and it carries on to this day, doesn't it? Yeah, we're, well, we hope so anyway. We're talking with Susan Waldman. Susan, you were not only a Yankee broadcaster, you one time were a reporter for WFAN up in New York, and you've got a reporter's mind. Take us back to when he left the Orioles, how much Joe Torre wanted Mike Mussina in his rotation? Well, he wanted him, and, and I'll tell you, I've got a great thing about that, because if you look at Messina and look at the games that he pitched in big moments in the playoffs, Joe Torre thought that the best pitcher should be the number three game starter. Really? Okay. And think about that. Yeah. Or the pitcher that is not the best, the more likely to win. Because if you're up to one, if you're up to nothing, you want that third one. You don't right. want to let them in. If you're down to nothing, you want someone that you know is going to be consistent and get you back in the win column. And I've always thought about that because go back and look. It was always Messina. Always. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, that's just something that I, I've always remembered about that. You know, he was very different from the other, the other people. He knew what he was doing. He knew what worked. No, it didn't. And usually, not always, but usually you knew what you were going to get. And sometimes when you have um, guys who are throwing upper 90s, they don't know where it's going to be. If they're, if they're not on, they can't make it work. Uh, Messina always could, and I, that, I think, is the best compliment I ever had. Just go back and look at those series One, um, through all those years. I, I bet you'll find number three starter Mike Messina almost always. I'm not an incredible numbers guy, but I went back this year, and I looked in the 10 years he pitched for the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles had a combined winning percentage of 5'11", and Mike's winning percentage was 645. Yeah. I wonder if there's another pitcher in baseball history that has that big a disparity that was that good but would pitch so far above his team. Uh, I'd lived in Philadelphia or Atlantic City the year that Steve Carlton won 27 games for a 55-win Philly team. But mm-hmm. to do it consistently the way Mike did, it's something special. Well, here's something else, guys, is, is Messina, and I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm not a big numbers person, so I don't, I don't know. But think about Mike's games. For all those years, Mike had great winning percentages. Mike pitched to the game. Yep. He pitched to the score. 
He didn't have to strike everybody out. He understood that a double play on two pitches is better than two strikeouts with six pitches, at least. But what he would do is pitch to what the score was. And you'd see that. So maybe his ERA was a little higher than a lot of the people who go by numbers um, would like to think. Um, but you've, you've got to watch the games. You've got to see what he did. His idea was that the team should win. W-I-N. Didn't matter whether it was 11 to 10 mm-hmm. or 2 to 1. The team was going to win, and he was going to keep you in that game so that you could win. And I don't think the ERA had a, had a lot to do with it because that isn't how he pitched. And a lot of great pitchers who are overlooked pitch like that. Yep. They yeah. absolute, that's where I think Jack Morris took so long. Mm-hmm. Jack Morris did that. He pitched to the score all the time. So the ERA is not what you'd think a Hall of Fame player should be, but it is. And that's something that if you don't watch the games and if you don't watch someone's career and what he did, I think that gets lost. Well, he pitched eight years for the Yankees, Susan, 123 wins with them. And I think one of the one of the most remarkable games was in that series against the Red Sox where he comes in on a day where Clemens doesn't have it and yep. he winds up going three innings and keeping the Yankees right there. Mo also pitches three innings in that game before Booney hits the home run. Yeah, that that is that see that's Messina and a lot of pitchers will say um and you know that he was very he liked to keep he'd like to do things um meticulously. But a lot of pitchers say I'll come in anytime you want as long as um you know to to win. He really meant that. And and you know when we talk about him being a little curmudgeon, he really wasn't there are some great little stories that, and everybody's got them. I'll tell you a great. I got to tell you a great story because I want someone to. I'd like people to know what's underneath that sort of snarl. Um, I wrote. They asked the Yankees asked me to write a little thing. Congratulations! It went out on their press releases, and um, I talked about pretty much what I was. I'm telling you about um, watching him was uh, was great, and he made me smile, and what he did. And then I said, congratulations, Moose. Please try to smile. And, but you know exactly what I'm talking about, because he always looked so um, curmudgeonly. That's the best word I can think of. But he wasn't. Years and years ago, when um, we used to give out gift certificates when you talk yep. to a player, which yep. those days are gone by at least 10 years, um, I had gift certificates to things like Morton's and Ruth's Chris, and I gave him one, and he said, what's that? And I said, well, that's for you. Take Jenna out to, out to eat. Right. And he said, do you have, like, Wendy's or... <laughs> Um, McDonald's. So I can take the kids. He didn't want to go to a big place. He wanted to take the kids to McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, that's who he is. That's who. That's who he is under there. He meant yep. it. He wasn't being. You know, he'd rather spend time with the family um, and at Wendy's or McDonald's or wherever than go to a big fancy restaurant. You guys were in town one day, one weekend for a series, and I walked up. This is like in May, and I walked up his final year. And I, I walked up the skybox to see Jane and the kids, and I said to Jane, I said, how you doing? She says, great. I'm going to get my husband back after this year. <laughs> and at that point, I knew that was going to be the last year. Hey, yeah, hey, yeah. And I was just so glad that he got that, that 20th, and he got what, yep. uh, what he had always wanted. And things always seemed to elude him. And, um, you know, I remember he was the kind of guy, after he, he missed that uh, – in Boston, when Carl Everett got that hit with two out in the ninth inning, we will never forgive him for that. But um, 
he wouldn't. He didn't want to come out and talk. And I remember saying, you, "You just pitched a great, magnificent game. Get out here and talk." And he goes, "Oh, all right." And he just was—he's that kind of of guy. He t- took what he did very seriously, but there was a little. Um, there's always a little smirk on Mike Messina's face, and um, this this is so great. I, I'm really, really happy for him. Hey, really bef- happy for him. Before we let you go, we'd be remiss, and we're bumping up against a break, but. Uh, uh, Mariana Rivera, first player in baseball history, 100% of the vote. Uh, your thoughts on that, and will Jeter get 100% of the vote? Um, to answer your last question first, probably not, okay. because there will be some little stat guy that will bring up how his fielding is not brilliant. Right. And I would, I think, I'm not quite sure this is going to happen again. Mariano Rivera did something no one has ever done before, 17 years of being at the top of his game. Um, and it'll, I don't think it'll ever be done again. Um, I also think the 100%, um, it, well, there might be a couple more, I'm not sure. But now we're at the point where everybody's ballot is public. And if you didn't vote for Mariano Rivera, you're out, your name is out there on the Internet. And that, can, that makes a different kind of, um, of ramification. Mariano Rivera was the best at what he did of all time. He is a better person and my guess is, guys, you're not going to see that again. All right. Susan, uh, I don't know if you did yesterday, but please Google that story by his brother, the column by his brother, uh, Mark Mussina. It's in the Sun Gazette, which I'm assuming is the Montoursville paper. It's, it's going to make you cry. It's an incredible piece. Oh, that's great, and he's a great guy, too. Different yep. kind of personality. Oh, them, big right? time. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. All right, thanks so much for joining us. All right, anytime. Us. Enjoy FanFest. All right, we'll see you down see you at soon. spring training. Sure. Bye-bye. All right, there's a great Susan Waldman. Love her. Chick-fil-A on Sundays with Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays. You can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. Perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. Craig? Um, the Costas Inn. Yeah, 4100 North Point Boulevard. I learned one thing, though. If you buy somebody a gift uh-huh. at the Costas Inn, send a card that says, hey, we purchased these from for the you. Costas Inn for you at the Costas right. Inn. Well, right? I, I, don't know. I mean, Casey knew they came from me, so that's <laughs> not a problem. 4100 North Point Boulevard in Dundalk. Great specials throughout the week. Crab cake night on Monday. Rib night on Tuesday, steak night on Wednesday, and lobster night on Thursday. Great specials all the time. And right now, you can get oyster stew on the menu. I did not know Oh, that. absolutely. All right. And also, how did those crab cakes taste down there? You no. probably flew to Tennessee. Well, no, no, no. No, you didn't fly to no, Tennessee. I didn't, no, but uh, I, I got a message from Casey thanking me <laughs> and... Uh, uh, said everything was fabulous. <laughs> All right. Thank you. That's the Costas Inn, our favorite place, 4100 North Point Boulevard. Back after this with Richard Justice. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. 
What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best, the waffle fries are amazing, and at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes U.S. MBC Basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sportspersons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local turtle. This is former Terp AJ Francis just here to let you know that I am a huge wrestling fan. I know you are too. And there's a lot of stupid idiots out there that ruin the wrestling podcast experience for everyone else. Hey, Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone. I don't understand why people would ever cheer for Roman Reigns. He's awful. I'm sick of it. Boo! Boo Roman Reigns! Never wrestled for Ring of Honor. Never wrestled for PWG. Never wrestled Uh, in Japan. He is no Kenny Omega. Too sweet me, bro. I hate both of you. And this is why I keep stupid idiots like you on my list. This is your boy Y2AJ here to save you. Find Jobbing Out, the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com on SoundCloud or iTunes. Alright, and we are back on the Bat Around Stand the Fan along with uh, Craig Heist and Fan Fest taking place today. Craig and I will be down there uh, shortly after the show. Uh, joining us now is MLB.com's most esteemed columnist and our friend Richard Justice. Richard, how are you, my friend? Stan the Fan Show with Craig Heist? Because I always thought it was Stan and Craig. It is Stan and Craig. Yeah. Did I say Did I say the Stan <laughs> the Fan Show? Stan the Fan Show with Craig First Heist. First of all, I couldn't have said that because the show is the bat around with Stan <laughs> the Fan and Craig Heist. Anyway. <laughs> all right. Why how are it, you? Why did it take Mike Messina five Five tries to get into the Hall of Fame. Uh, because voters are stupid. I mean, yeah, thank you. <laughs> because, um, look, we try to weigh the one thing that what got him in is the fact that the analytics age 
has made an effort to contextualize a player's career. You know, where did Mike pitch more than half his games? Camden Camden Yards, Yankee Stadium, and Fenway Park. Fenway Park. What division did he play in? American League East. What era did he play in? The ballparks got smaller. The the strike zone the postage stamp. Baseballs got harder, some would say. The bats certainly got harder. The players got bigger. And uh, there's a baseball reference does a good job. Now, look, I mean, you can argue with these numbers, war for pitchers and all that, but war for pitchers has Musina and Schilling 23rd and 26th all time. Um, and it's, it's the same effort going on with Larry Walker. Okay, he had 30% of his plate appearances at Coors Field, that, and, and he had video game numbers at Coors Field. But when you look at the body, the whole body of his work, and you factor in defense, which is hard to do, and base running, which is really hard to do. He was a great player. But anyway, that's why it took Moose so long. And he can thank, he can thank Michael Lewis and Moneyball for, for getting him in because people finally wised up. In the case of Schilling and Musina, um, probably Schilling more than uh, Musina more than Schilling, it wasn't even a close call to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I was saying I was uh, in our podcast, I was Mark Feinstein was on, I said, you know, I think of the Aaron Boone game as the Mariano Rivera game. On one day's rest, he took the ball and said, I'm not giving it back. And Mark said, well, I think of it as the Mike Mussina game because Clemens wasn't very good, and Moose came in and pitched three or four or whatever mm-hmm. innings and gave the Yankees a chance to uh, get back in the game and for Aaron Boone to win it. He was, he was a phenomenal career, you know. Mike was a different kind of guy. He didn't, as you guys know, certainly Craig knows him better than any of us. He didn't seek out the spotlight. He... <laughs> he could be snarky at times. I saw Michael <laughs> K this week said oh. Mike 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 was snarky and he just walked away and said, I'll never talk to that guy again and I thought like you can't yeah. do I mean like <laughs> and all you have to do is put that in your tape recorder and go, Mike, I, I really need you to help me on this. Why, why are you being right. like this? Yeah. He would have been your best friend. He yeah. would have been, the yeah. The truth is he loved us. Well, you know what? Here's a story about that and I told this a little earlier to Stan. I'm in the dining room at Camden Yards. We're going through the food line, and he is two people maybe and, away and, from me. And, Richard, this is 2001. One, yeah. And he's, he's, we're going through the line, and he is telling – you remember Helen and Hazel from – Right. Yeah, okay. Right. He's telling Helen and Hazel what a bad guy Mike is because of this interview <laughs> and, and everything. And I just looked at him, and I said – I'm standing in line. I said, why, Michael? Because he won't talk to you, or I said, Michael, he doesn't know you anything. <laughs> yeah, but I, I did think that you know the way that you know he would say, Stan. Craig would ask the first question, and right. Moose would go, Craig, that's not the form of a question. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I thought, now okay, like we love the guy. Right. Yeah. Orioles drafted him twice. We know his brother. I mean, we truly love this man. We know what a good person he is. And uh, I thought, now like. You got to be careful about that's not going to play everywhere. But I think the guys that covered that got to know him, Buster only, all those guys, they came to love the guy too. Yeah, Richard. I mean, Richard, when he became a free agent the first time and re-signed with the Orioles, were you still covering the team at that time? You were already probably with the Redskins, weren't you? Right. Well, I <laughs> I got to know Mike when they drafted him the first time, right? And, and uh, or I got to know his father, I should say, and his. You know, EBW was trying, Everbenet Williams, who owned the team at the time, was doing everything. You can go to Stanford, you're exactly the kind of guy we want in the organization, all this stuff. And at one point, Malcolm uh, 
um, Eusena said to him, Mr. Williams, I don't want you to take this the wrong way, but you and I do the same thing for a living, so don't BS a BSer. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and, you know, there were hard feelings after that. And uh, I got a Rick Vaughn call and goes, you know, when the draft wasn't an extravaganza, and goes, you're not going to believe who we took. And I said, who? He said, Mike Mussina. And I said, you, you didn't. You did That's not. Great. It was meant to be. I, and he's a good, I mean, I, I wondered about the cat thing. He has his best years in Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Pitched a little more than half his career in Baltimore. Um, but the divorce was not a pleasant one. It shouldn't have happened. I mean, no. he should have spent his whole career in Baltimore. He was willing to stay. And, you know, the Yankees did an amazing recruiting job. Like, you guys know, I mean, he was not, he could not see himself playing in New York City. And the Yankees took him to the Jersey suburbs, the Connecticut suburbs, and say, in Jersey, like seven miles from Yankee Stadium, this is the, one of the most beautiful suburbs in the country. Andy Pettit told him, "said Hey, I, I've only I've only ever been to Manhattan to go to banquets and stuff. Th- this is the life I have in Houston, right. essentially." And they did a great job for him. You know, he was such a perfectionist. Were you guys there the night that he got hit in the face twice? Oh right? yes, Andy Alomar. And uh, and you know and Sandy Alomar didn't Sandy Alomar break up one of his no hitters? Yeah, oh, yes. bro- yeah, yeah, yes, he and did. Frank Calinato broke up the perfect game or vice versa, something like that. And Susan Waldman remembered Carl Everett breaking up a no hitter. Well, yeah, that was the perfect game with two outs in the ninth at Fenway. Oh, oh, you know, and he he did, it was not an easy game for him. He was so cerebral and. Um, Thought through everything. I mean, the pitch clock wouldn't. I don't. I don't know what the time was between pitches, but I think the pitch clock would have driven him crazy. Yeah, we're talking. So happy for him. Yep. Because of everything he represents. And again, Craig, you know him better than the rest of it because you were there with him a hundred nights. Yep. <laughs> You're right. No question about. It. We're talking to Richard <clears throat> Justice MLB dot com. Richard, um, am I making too much of this? His ten years in Baltimore. 5-11 was the winning percentage of the team, and the pitcher had a 6.45 winning percentage. That wow. seems pretty amazing to me. Yeah, and I went and looked at what he was top five in the Cy Young in Baltimore uh, four times. Mm-hmm. And he was, no, it was, no, he was second in, in, in 1999. I mean, he was he was a dominant pitcher. And, and, and it just was not a pitching era, and it was a hard ballpark to pitch in. It was a tough... Um, it was a tough uh, division to pitch in. He was he was unbelievable uh, how good he was and how consistent he was. You look at those. I mean, 200 innings is a thing now, and he just made it look easy. Yeah, he really did. And I'll tell you, 94, when the strike hit, he was sitting at 16 wins on August the 12th when the strike came. And, you know, for years and years and years, all I heard was, well, never won 20 and this and that. Right. But 19 twice, 18 three times, and 17 two other times, uh, that's just a model of consistency. Yeah, Cornhouse made the point. He doesn't have the signature win, but he has the body of work that yep. I'm telling you matches up with anybody. I was worried for a while he wasn't going to get in. And, uh, you know, now Schilling belongs in. Yep. And it's a little bit different, but Schilling's postseason numbers would put him over the top. Kurt, I mean, Moose was great from. You talked about those first years. I think he was like 67 and 25 the first four seasons. Yeah. And Kurt was a long time getting it. I remember the Orioles sent him down one time, and I, I said to Frank Robinson, I said, well, maybe he'll get it now. You know, you kind of slapped him in the face and sent him back. 
<laughs> Frank looked at me and said, that kid ain't never going to get it. <laughs> and, and that's the way people felt, you know. Yeah. And, and, if, and if, if Roger Clemens hadn't basically threatened to kill him in the weight room in the Astrodome one offseason, I'm not sure when it would have snapped in. You know, and one other just, this is off, off the path, but in Schilling pitched a game for the Diamondbacks in Houston a few years ago, and he gave up like seven runs. But it, they, they had a tough bull, you know, it was a game that he needed to go innings. And he went six or seven innings. He had nothing, and he wouldn't come out of the game. And I remember like a year later talking to him. I said, do you remember the game in Houston where you just got your butt handed to you? And he goes, those are the games when you're when it's all said and done that you're the most proud of because you stood up for your team and you wouldn't give in. And that's that's what a Hall of Famer is. Hey, I'm just curious. Uh, we're talking mostly Mucina today, but are you a Billy Wagner voter? Every time. Well, Jason Stark wrote, if we're going to have DHs, and and and, and saves, in the game, yeah. they ought to be in the Hall of Fame. So I voted for Lee Smith. I, I, uh, you know, obviously Trevor Hoffman, Mariana Rivera, and you look. You compare Billy Wagner's numbers to any of those it's guys. It's off the charts. Off the charts. Off the charts. They stack up. Yep. And uh, through a hundred, at the um, All Star game one time uh, in Chicago, I guess this was two thousand three. He Smoltz and Barry Bonds were in the National League clubhouse. And Bond says to him, you know, look, if I hit one of your 100-mile-an-hour fastballs out of the park, I ought to be able to stand there and admire it. Don't you think? <laughs> and, and Billy says, <laughs> Smoltz is like, whoa, I don't want to hear this. And Billy says, that's right, Barry, but you know what's going to happen the next time. And Bonds goes, oh, really? And he goes, he goes, I know, I know, Barry, you'll come out to the mound, and the odds are you'll kick my ass. But what if I get a lucky punch in, and then you have to live the rest of your life knowing you got knocked down by the littlest man in baseball? So, so fast forward late that season, I think, or the next season. But I mean, Billy is throwing him fastballs, you know, when nobody would. And Bagwell goes to the mound and said, "Now let's not let our judgment uh, get clouded here." It struck him out on a hundred mile an hour fastball. After the game, they go, "Hey, Billy, uh, Barry Bonds on the phone." He goes over and Bond says to him, "Don't get it under a hundred. Do not throw one under a hundred. But what it was, it was like That's these great two great story. competitors saying, "Okay, you gave me your best. Maybe next time I'll get you." That's and he appreciated story. that Billy was not afraid of him. Do you do you see a guy like that ever getting the chance to get voted in, or will it have to be the uh, every all everyday committee or whatever it's called now, the veterans <laughs> the committee. committee? Yeah, yeah. I I just I don't have any hope. Yeah, uh, you know, like what wh- what did he end up with this year? I think seventeen percent. Yeah, you know, and even guys like Kenny Lofton. I don't know if Kenny Lofton belonged in the Hall of Fame. Like you were asking me last time about Tony Oliva, who I've yeah. gone back and looked at a lot. I don't know that Kenny Lofton belongs in the Hall of Fame, but he deserves he deserves to stay on the ballot. Same thing with Lance Berkman. Yeah, you go through and com- just put Lance Berkman beside Edgar Martinez, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty good discussion. Now, again, I'm not saying he belongs in the Hall of Fame, but this idea that he fall- fell off with 1.2 percent of the vote, you know, because next year might have been different if the ballot clear. You know, we finally we put 20 in the last what five years or six years or whatever it is. And uh, so the ballots cleared out a little. So the only slam dunk coming onto the ballot next year is Jeter, um, and, and we'll see what ha- what that does to guys like Larry Walker and Omar Vizquel and all those. All right, Richard- I tell you who is going to get in. Yeah. Fred McGriff's going to get in 
through one of the committees. No they're, question they're, about if it. You're having, if you're one, I think 2021 he comes up. Yep. If you're in one of those committees, there is no reason not to yep. vote for Fred McGriff. One last one before we let you go. Jeff Kent, does he belong in? Eight, 800 RBI seasons, I believe. Six you know, or eight. Well, if you're Mad Dog Russo, he does. Yeah. <laughs> right, but when he was done playing, I didn't even think it would be a discussion. I yeah. thought he would fly in. Yeah. And I can't, what can I say? I haven't voted for him. I voted for Scott Rowland over him this yeah. year. But I do believe he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And hopefully he gets in at some time, too. Sometimes we'll tell we'll tell Jeff Kent stories. He was a good guy who posed as a real bad guy. I came to see him as one of the great teammates. Mm-hmm. One time they sent a kid down, a young kid down, you know, in San Diego when he was with the Astros. You know, you know what it is. Some guy sent a kid down. Yeah, good, blah blah blah. Good luck. Uh, Kent was over there in the corner with him. Now you need to go down there and do this and do that mm-hmm. and do this. They had a young player named Jason Lane one time who's facing the Cubs closer. Kent, you know, didn't, I mean, he was not friendly to people, to, to teammates. He, t- he goes up to him and goes, hey, he's going to throw you this, this, and this. When he throws you this, you jump on it. Guy hit a three-run homer to win the game. Great story. Great story. Before we let you go, where's Machado going to end up and where's Harper going to end up? Uh, well, until the Yankees and Dodgers don't sign the two of them, <laughs> they're in the mix. But I think now the smart money is, I think – I don't know if you guys disagree. I mean, I think Bryce Harper's going to sign with the Phillies. I think his heart was with the Nationals. And I think Machado's going to sign with, the, I guess, the White Sox. I mean, the White Sox and the Phillies are the logical choices now. But until the Yankees, Dodgers, Nationals, and the Padres, until all those things are exhausted, I don't know. And look, they're still on the market. If you're if you're in charge of one of thirty of thirty well, teams, well, the Padres are the latest mystery team that, right. that have really yeah. surfaced. Over but like the last I'm thinking, years. if you're Cincinnati and you think you're ready to turn a corner, yep. aren't you at least having a conversation? Five years, 150 million. Right. All he can say is no to us. You yep. know, I mean, this is these are these guys are 26 years old. RJ, thank you very much. Give my love to Marty, and we won't bother you until after spring training's over. All right? <laughs> I, I might bother hey, you. Hi, will you be in uh, Sarasota or uh, West Palm? I don't think I'm going down. I'll be in Sarasota the 6th to the 14th. Sarasota March. the 6th through the 14th. Yep. I, think, I think I'm coming through there then. All right. I'll take All you right. out for a steak. Okay, okay. See All ya. right, RJ. Thanks very much. All right. We're going to make our con- connection ne- next with Andrew Stetka. of the Utah Street Report, and uh, Masson. Great story about Mike. He just missed being the valedictorian of his graduating class in Montoursville. Right. And according to some reports, he intentionally came up short to avoid delivering the commencement speech. (laughs) (laughs) And that, just reading that, that That is is Mike Mike. Messina. Yeah, that is a great story. Uh, Stetka's going to join us, and then we're going to be joined by Mike's Little brother, brother yeah, Mark. Mark Musina. But Andrew Stetka joins us right now. Uh, he lives out in Arizona, and he joins us right now. Uh, how are the temperatures in Arizona, Andrew? Uh, they're, they're, they're cold for me, but not, not compared to what it is back east. Well, suck it up and play. That's all uh, I got to say. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I think I'll deal. We, we dipped down into the like upper 30s, mid, mid to upper 30s overnight, which is Really cold for us. But I, cover, I know that that's nothing compared to what it is back east. I covered the Steelers Cowboys Super Bowl. Yeah, one year out there, back when they played at Sun Devil Stadium. Right. And I couldn't get out of town on the Monday after the game, 
So I rented the car and I drove up to Flagstaff. Okay? And the mm -hmm. the temperature differential oh, yeah. between Phoenix and Flagstaff was like night and day and snow on the ground. Yeah, <laughs> really? Flagstaff is, is feet of snow every winter and, yeah. and very you know, it's it's that elevation change really hits uh, about halfway you know, you get about half, halfway between Phoenix and Flagstaff but and I, uh it dips down. It's definitely a winter wonderland. But I loved all, it because I loved it because the speed limit on the highway was eighty. Yeah, oh, definitely. Good, good yeah. for you. Hey, Andrew, we thought we'd have you on. We're doing an all moose show today, pretty much all moose. Uh, your thoughts on Musina in the Hall of Fame? Uh, I was pleasantly surprised. Um, I didn't quite expect it to happen. Uh, I thought he would eventually get in. I thought mm -hmm. he might have to wait another year. Um, and I'll tell you, and I wrote about this a little bit earlier this week over at UtahStreetReport.com, it hit me in a way I didn't expect it to. Um, I didn't think I would be so excited for it, but watching that announcement on Tuesday, it really kind of got to me. I got the goosebumps like I normally would um, watching a player that I, you know, I loved watching so much growing up um, be, induct uh, be, be elected, that is. Um, it, was, it was really meaningful to me, and, and you know, uh, I, I was really happy for him. It was, it was a great moment. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm told Stan I was down in the uh, media room getting set to cover a Caps game, and as soon as I heard Jeff Idelson say his knuckle curve was one of the most devastating. Yeah, that was what did it. And, and I, I said, yeah. <laughs> it was the shock. I, I, I kind of thought he was going to start talking about a cutter there and introduce Mariano Rivera's right. name, and when he said knuckle curve, I went, oh, my gosh, it happened, and it was, yeah. it was uh, really exciting. We're talking with Andrew <laughs> Stecka. That's what that's what I get for trying to play uh, words with friends while I'm doing my show here. Um, I just had to, somebody nudged me. I hadn't made a move in a couple of days. Mr. Technology. Yeah, Mr. Technology. <laughs> that's, that thing, it, i got to take that off of it's that. It's got a phone. mind of its own. Yeah, it's unbelievable. All right. Andrew Stetka is with us. Andrew, um, what, what most impressed you about Musina during his career? I think it was his consistency, and I know that's been a popular thing to say this week, but he was just so steady throughout his, not only his years in Baltimore, but even when he pitched in New York. Um, you know, every year he was just a stalwart in, in the rotation. And, you know, he, he didn't have the, the outstanding year that, that won him a Cy Young, but he was always in the mix. And um, he didn't, you know, he wasn't the, the best pitcher in the league any single season, but he was always right there in the top five. And that was just... That's something that in baseball, um, you know, a lot of people overlook. And that's, I think, also why it took him a few years to get into the Hall of Fame because uh, people didn't realize just how good he was for so long. Um, you know, 18 years is a long time to play this game uh, and to do it so consistently and so well for, for how he did it, especially, you know, everybody's talking about the era that he pitched in, the division that he pitched in, the small ballparks that he pitched in, um, all of that facing him, and he was just so consistently good. Uh, for so many years, and that's, you know, you can't say much else than that. Let me ask you this, and, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, no World Series titles and this and that, but I'll tell you what, his postseason numbers, uh, for the amount of time that he did get, and he was there twice with the Orioles, and, you know, you think back to the Indian Series where he strikes out 25, he sets the LCS record for 15 in a game, uh, you know, and everybody said that he wasn't a big game pitcher. Well, I mean, obviously somebody wasn't watching. <laughs> There's no question. I mean, he, he, he stepped up in, in the biggest of moments. And, and, you know, people like to, for the last 15 years or so, maybe even longer, 
um, Orioles fans have been clamoring for the guy in the rotation. And I don't think he was really appreciated as much as the guy when he pitched for the Orioles in the 90s because he was. He was the ace of the staff. Um, he was the, the Max Scherzer of the Orioles. Um, he was the guy that went out there every fifth day and put an end to losing streaks and just went out there and, and you know, he was, he was the stopper. And it, like you mentioned, the postseason went along with that. I mean, people like to praise um, guys like Kurt Schilling and, and, and others for their postseason records, and Mike Lucinas was right up there uh, with those types of guys, e- even though the hardware didn't come. Um, you know, that, that, I think that's kind of silly to, to, to knock an individual starting pitcher that he didn't win a World Series. That, it takes 25 guys on a roster uh, to win a World Series. It, you can't put that all on one starting pitcher. It, there's a lot of luck involved there, too. Let me pose the, the tough question that we, we haven't really uh, dug into yet. Does Mike Mussina, despite the fact that he spent a large portion of his career with the New York Yankees, he started his career and pitched 10 long years with the Baltimore Orioles. Should he be up with a statue with the other guys? So I wrote about this as well uh, over at UtahStreetReport.com uh, this week, and yep. I think the answer is unequivocally yes. Yeah. Um, he, you know, no matter, and I know they announced yesterday he's going in with no logo on his cap. Right. I don't think it matters what logo, you know, he, or, or, or no logo he goes in with. Uh, the guy pitched for a decade for the team. Uh, he's the second best pitcher in, in franchise history uh, behind Jim Palmer. Um, and he's a Hall of Famer. And, when you know, no matter what it says on his cap, in a, on a plaque in a museum in upstate New York, Nobody's going to forget what he did in Baltimore, and those kinds of contributions are something that should be recognized. Um, and I think he should be honored. Uh, it's just it's, it, he's an important part of this franchise's history, and, and people not only will remember that, but he should be uh, you know honored for that as well. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's a. a I hope the organization. Uh, does the right thing. Well, there, and Glenn, you know? Glenn, Glenn Clark and I last week when we did the show when Stan was out of town. That was one of the first things we brought up was how do the Orioles handle this now that he's in the Hall of Fame. Right. We right. had Greg Bader on. He says, well, obviously, if he goes in wearing an Oriole hat, uh, we have to do something. If he goes in wearing a Yankee hat, well, you know, I, I don't know how that would work out. Yeah. You know, and, and that's the right response, you know, for somebody that so. works for the team. Yeah. But right. but I, I just think now that he's going to go in. Capitalist. Cap- logo. Well, logo list. Logo, logo I just think that uh, the Orioles need to do something. Yeah. Well, and I talked with Glenn a little bit, a little bit this week too, and the point he kept bringing up was uh, Frank Robinson only played six years right. in Baltimore. Yep. Um, and played many more years with the Reds. But guess what? He's got a statue in Cincinnati, uh, even though you know he's he's in the Hall of Fame with an Orioles cap on. And uh, he's got a statue in both cities. And Look, and Eddie gonna, and Eddie played a large portion of correct. his career out of Baltimore. Absolutely. The, yeah. the Yankees are going to honor Moose in whatever they, way they see fit, whether he goes into Monument Park and is the 34th or 35th something uh, member of Monument Park, and that's, that's all fine and great. And guess what? They should do that because he was a great player for them as well. But he was a great player for the Orioles, and if, if the Orioles aren't going to step up and recognize that, I think that's a real shame. Yeah. Um, they, you know, I, I tend to agree with a lot of what, what the, the points that Glenn made uh, on these airwaves earlier this week about, you know, the team needing to step up and, and, and honor him in that way, and, and I hope that they'll do it. I know that uh, Greg Bader and, and, and ownership over there are going to discuss it uh, in the coming weeks and months and kind of figure out a game plan 
uh, as to what they should do. But it'll be it'll be an interesting conversation among town uh, for, for you know for that time. We're talking with Andrew Stetka. He writes for uh, Utah Street Report and also Masson. And uh, we've got him for about three more minutes, and uh, we appreciate the time. Um, what, do you, what do you remember about the Orioles ending up losing Mike Musina when they did and the way they did? So it was one of those things that was, it almost felt inevitable, uh, just because of the way the team was, uh, I guess not spending in that time and, and ownership was not making an effort to retain players like that. And it was a shame um, at the time. and It was heartbreaking at the time, but it was also something that felt, you know, that we felt as fans, we felt resigned to it. Yep. Um, and it was something that in the moment, it, it's easy to uh, be angry at the player or blame the player, but, you know, that's just fandom. That's just, kind of irrational uh, behavior, honestly, uh, on the part of fans, you have to respect the player's decision to take money and, and make a living and, and, and boost his career earnings with a bigger contract. And when you look back at it, Mike Messina did the absolute right thing. Um, you know, the guy took a, a slight hometown discount a few years before going to New York to stay in Baltimore. Um, he wanted to pitch in Baltimore. He, you know, was, was, was drafted and came up with the club and, and, wanted to be here, uh, but just, you know, things didn't work out that way because ownership didn't step up. So it was disappointing at the time, but, you know, when you look back at it, these kinds of things happen, and, and especially when you look at the era of baseball that we're in right now in, in players moving all the time, and, um, you know, we're, we're looking at a case right now with both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, the two biggest names uh, on the market. There's, there's, a, there's definitely no chance Machado is coming back to Baltimore. Um, and I'd say there's, you know, a, a very slim chance now that Harper's going to stay in Washington long-term. Players move around a lot. Yep. Um, we may see it with Mike Trout in a few years. We may see him depart the Angels unless they're able to lock him up. I mean, the, the, yeah. the, the really good players tend to change teams fairly often in this day and age. And, and uh, maybe, you know, it, it didn't happen as much back in the late 90s, early 2000s, but it still happened. And that's something that, uh, you know, they were, they were always going to be hit with. You know, I always think back to the Musina, the contract he signed prior to that with the ball club. He he took under value in terms of dollars, and more importantly, under under value in terms of length of contract length, because yeah. the, the, well, owner, the owner the right owner at right. the time the owner at the time said because he was sort of new at being an owner and wanted to impose his will on things. He says, you know what. We're not going to sign pitchers to longer than three-year contracts. And Mike took that three-year contract, which he got lambasted by Tom Glavin and the Players yeah, Association. The Players Association yep. And then his thank you from the Orioles came that a guy that had just been acquired two years earlier, they gave a five-year contract, and they never tore up Mike's contract and added the years. And that would have been all that was necessary to have kept Mike here and he would have been here the rest of his career. Well, and look how long that legacy lasted, too, up until yep. a few years ago when the Orioles signed Ubaldo Jimenez to a yep. four-year deal, and it, it really it really bit them, yep. uh, you know, in terms of performance. And um, they, they just they, they seemed snake-bitten by it then, and, and, it, and it lasted for a very long time until they decided to give out another contract that was anywhere close to that. Hey, we, we appreciate your coming in and sharing your thoughts on this. We hope to see you in Baltimore sometime soon, all right? Anytime, guys. Enjoy uh, FanFest today. All right. Will do. All, All right, right. That's Andrew Stetka. And right now we're going to tell you about the 
the Big Bats. Uh, let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar, located 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down, we're back to and from the eastern shore. There's no place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats, the Wizards, the Caps, University of Maryland basketball, and sample the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs. And the one thing you'll never be able to do anywhere else is... Go sit on a base. That's Big Bats (laughs) in Ken Island, 216 St. Clair Place. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. One-third of crash fatalities in Maryland are due to impaired driving. Don't be a statistic. Be legendary. What does it mean to be legendary? It means always making a plan to choose a sober driver or be one. Never drinking, then getting behind the wheel. Making sure to get a ride for yourself and your friends if needed. Always speaking up and taking the keys from an impaired driver. Remember, sober drivers save lives. This safety message is brought to you by the Maryland Department of Transportation. Visit BeLegendaryMD.com. Chick-fil-A on Sundays? With Chick-fil-A's reheatable chilled nugget trays, you can have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Make all your events remarkable with Chick-fil-A catering trays. They're perfect for tailgating, birthdays, or office parties. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the PressBox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to PressBoxOnline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer. The, the other type of football. No. No, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, not really. Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No? Just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. College football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. All right, and we are back on the bat around on this Saturday morning, and uh, it's been an all-moose talk fest uh, for the first uh, hour and 20 minutes, and that's going to continue right now with uh, Mark Mussina, the brother of Mike Mussina, the younger brother. Uh, and he joins us right now. Mark, how are you, my friend? 
I'm good, Stan. How are you? Good. Hey, I, I've got an incredibly successful brother, far more successful from a financial career perspective than, than me. Uh, See, I can't relate to that at all. I, that's what I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering, first of all, I got to tell you, I'm passing your article around like crazy. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. One of the best sports pieces I've read anywhere. I appreciate that. Yeah. We have a question about the paper, though. Uh, is that the Montoursville paper? That's, it's Williamsport. No, Williamsport. Williamsport. Okay, yeah. okay. I got gotcha. you. All right. We have paper, but we don't have a paper. All right. so it's, uh, How did that come about, first of all? I mean, you know, it, it was nip and tuck there at the very end. Had you talked to them a couple weeks before about doing this, if Mike well, got in? Yeah, in, in the small town world of you know, where we are. Yeah. Um, I, I still do a, a radio show here one day a week, and the guy I co-host it with is like the lead sports writer for the local paper. Okay. And about a week ago, I told him, hey, I have this idea for, for a story from my perspective, and um, would you guys, because my first thought was if he got in, they would run an extra special section. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the guy, my buddy says, well, they should, but I don't know if they will. Right. So we'll have to see because what made it, it – it's not like a, a football preview or anything like that where you know it's coming. They're like, we don't know if he's going to get in until 6 o'clock. Well, and now they can run – but now they can run that special section in July. That And that's yeah. true. And yeah. they did, as it worked out, my article – it ended up being like 3,500 words. Yep. It was long. And they first came back to me and said – um, if you can cut it down to a thousand or fifteen hundred, we can run it. Right, and then we'll run the whole thing online. And I said, you can't. It's not. You, I can't cut it down that far. Right. So we kind of kept going back and forth, and then literally about eight o'clock, like two hours after he got in, they said, "All right, how about this? We'll we're going to take this part out and we'll run the rest." So they ran most of it in the newspaper, and okay. they ran all of it online. Okay. Well, I think you got a, a real, in reading it, you get a really good idea and perspective of what it was like to watch your brother pitch at the major league level. But I got to ask you, we, we always talk about the consistency and all of the accomplishments and the numbers and things of that nature. And, and I know you could probably be more biased than anyone when I ask you this, but from from you watching him, what was the one thing that impressed you most about his whole career? Uh, one of the things that I, I talk to people about, well, they, well, there's a couple. One, people don't get to see the preparation. And I tell people, you know, because what, what made Mike successful, Mike had good stuff, but there were guys with better stuff. Mike had, you know, the, the incredible uh, pinpoint location, and he could throw multiple pitches to – uh, you know, wherever he needed to throw it in whatever counts. And when he played catch, just pl- there was no just laugh around, screw around. Like, he, he would end up, when he threw a ball, he would end up um, kind of like a pointer dog, whatever those dogs are called mm-hmm. that you go hunt with. And every time, he was perfectly balanced, every throw. He never fell over. He was never off. And oh, even in, in January, when you're playing catch, he would throw, he would throw the ball and you're catching it, and you look down at the other end, and he looks like a weather vane, that he's perfectly balanced. And it was over and over and over. So there was a lot of 
uh, attention to, to stupid little detail. Because, you know, you go to the Little League field and you tell kids while they're playing catch, like, pay attention to what you're doing, and they're just talking and goofing around. And the, the attention to detail during the workouts is what made him be able to repeat his delivery over and over and over on the mound. Um, the other thing was, I thought, you know, people talk about how people are great competitors, but I thought one of the things that he did very well was I thought he competed well from the standpoint that after something happens, good or bad, you need to learn from it, but you also need to turn the page and move on, and you, it, dwelling in what happened isn't really good for anything. And when he would come out of the clubhouse after the game, you couldn't tell if he won, if he lost, or if he didn't even play. Mm-hmm. Like, he was the same guy every time, and, you know, it, there was just – he didn't ride the highs and he didn't ride the lows, but, you know, he was, he was mentally, um, you know, I don't say compartmentalizing, but he was, he was learning from what just happened, and he was going to try to take his experience and, and, you know, make himself a better pitcher – but he didn't, he didn't jump up and down with victory and he didn't beat himself up with defeat. He kind of like, you know, today's over, now i got to get ready for the next one. And I thought he did that very well, and I think that helped him through 18 years. I was just telling Stan, I think one of the great things that, you know, as I got to know Mike down through the years, uh, there's a thing online that I read that said that he had just missed the valedictorian award at his, for his graduating class. Right at Montoursville. I'm and, not sure if that story. I've heard that story. <laughs> and it I'm says, sure it says, true. according to some reports, he intentionally came up short to avoid delivering the commencement speech. Because <laughs> he was close. Like in our school, the top three kids get to speak, and I think he ended up number five. So he was close. But I think the other three guys might be saying, "Listen, you know, he, I was smarter than he was. I'm not sure he he tanked this. I think I beat him." So. Yeah, I'm not sure if that story's true or not. But 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 I just read it and I thought to it's myself, a good story now. But I thought to myself, that's so Mike. <laughs> we're talking yeah. with we're we're talking with Mark Musina, the younger brother of Mike Musina, who's uh, going into Cooperstown this uh, July. Um, Richard Justice was just on, and I had told the story earlier in the show because I interviewed your dad. In 19, I believe it was 87 or 88, when they the Orioles drafted him out of high school, and I'm I'm assuming you were probably like seven or eight then. Is that about right? No, no. I was when he was in high school. I was a freshman in high school when he was a senior. Okay, so he was only a couple of years different. But yeah. I remember yeah. your dad coming on and basically telling the story how Mr. Williams, because I was really pushing the, that the Orioles have to sign this kid, and your dad sort of said, well. Mr. Williams said that, uh, you know, we'll pay for his college or something to that effect. And your dad said, Mr. Williams, I, I'm a lawyer, too. I can pay for his college. It's what's beyond that. And uh, it didn't work out that first time. Do you remember Mike or your dad being surprised the Orioles took a second bite at the apple? Well, it, the second time was interesting because you you hear all these speculations and some people, I, we had read someplace that he was he was a mid-second rounder. Mm-hmm. But we'd also heard, um, because I think if, I'm, if my names are running, um, he played in college with Ed Sprague. Right. And I think Eddie Sprague's dad was in the Oriole organization at that point. Correct. I think he was a scout with the Oriole organization. Yep. Okay. 
because he had said, we, you'd read some places where he was a mid-second rounder, and then Ed Sprague's dad told us, we, don't think he, we picked 20th and we don't think he'll be there. Right. So when you hear something like that, you're kind of like, well, I guess he's not going to go any lower than 20th, because, and that's how it ended up turning out. So we weren't, because of the Ed Sprague connection, we weren't that surprised. But um, we, it was just, it was lucky because he obviously wanted to stay on the East Coast, and um, it just worked out perfectly. His uh, time in New York, and I, you know, and I know a lot of Oriole fans continue to say, "Well, you know, he he left, he went to the Evil Empire, that kind of thing." But when you you look back on it, he signed three years to take a discount to stay in Baltimore, and then I think with the way kind of everything went, you know, there were a little bit of hard feelings. Uh, mainly more probably from, from the Oriole end of no it. No question about and, it. Uh, but, you know, really that, that move to New York turned out to be the best thing for him because at the time the Orioles were on the downside and at the time the Yankees had already won World Series and they were in the midst of a dynasty. And, you know, Mike probably looked at that as, hey, man, I got a chance to go here. I you know, get paid well, but I also have a chance to win. It's, it's really funny. When the year before, um, I was actually at, staying at his agent's house for a night. I was in California, and I stayed with his agent. And at the time, um, so this would have been like 99, um, Mike's next to last year with the Orioles. And all Mike had ever said was, I'm just going to stay in Baltimore. And I'm, I'm in his agent's kitchen, and I'm telling him, I said, I don't care where if he stays in Baltimore – he needs to go test the free agent market. Mm-hmm. And his agent, of course, looks at me and goes, well, I'd love for him to test the free agent market, but that's not what he wants to do. So I was kind of the one just saying, just go see what you're worth. This is the one time in your life that you are ever going to be able to go like, look at all of your options and then pick the best one. And he was like, nah, I'm just going to stay. And then as time went on and time went on and the Oriole organization seemed to I don't want to say unravel, but, um, you know, the well, Orioles... Yeah, you can, you, can kind of, you can kind of say that at that <laughs> time. Uh, yeah. They were on a downslide, and, and, you know, things just... As negotiations continued on and continued on, and then it just got to the point that it was obvious that he was going to go somewhere. I use the analogy, because someone I talked to... I, it might have been with Glenn the other day when he said, um, you know, it's like the Orioles broke up with him. And I said, well, I don't... I don't want to say that in negotiations the Orioles necessarily broke up with Mike, but they kind of said, we'll continue dating, but we're going to date other people. Like, that's how much we're committing to this relationship. Yeah. When all these other people were saying, you know, the Yankees would give six years, the Red Sox would give seven years, you know, the Mets were willing to offer, but he didn't want to go to the National League and all this, and, and the Orioles made the lowest offer of all of them. So it was just... Yeah. It was an awkward time, but it's that's business, and that's the yep. way sports works. And and there's no, I know a lot of people in Baltimore hold hard, hold hard feelings about it, and we don't. We we remember yeah. the times in Baltimore as great times, and obviously twenty one thirty one is is one of the most special days in baseball history. And Mike was lucky enough to be a part of it. So, um, you know, we. I, I told someone the other day, people in Baltimore look at it like a divorce. Like he divorced the Orioles and went to the Yankees. You know, Mike kind of looks at it like his two kids. Like I, I, I have a Baltimore kid. I have a New York kid. I love them both. And, you know, there, there's no, 
Um, there, there really is no hard feelings either way, but I understand Oriole fans, and, and, and I get it. Mark, I'll tell you an anecdote. I, I had Pat Gillick on uh, a radio show that we did in Mount Washington at McCafferty's one night, and this was after the Orioles had signed Scott Erickson to a five-year contract, about six months after they told your brother that the Orioles don't do five-year contracts for pitchers. They do max three years. And, right. and when after Erickson signed, I mean, I was ecstatic. We had Key, Mussina, and Erickson in the starting rotation. And I said to Pat Gillick, I said, but you told Mike Mussina that you only do three-year contracts. Don't you think you should go back and redo that contract, like, immediately? And, I, and look, I'm not trying to negotiate 20 years ago with for, for your brother. I have a feeling if they had torn up that contract, and almost thrown a couple more years on at that time, he never ends up getting to free agency because it just wouldn't have happened if he had been with the club another two or three years. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think another one that kind of gets lost, I remember I, I was in a bar up here in Williamsport, and I saw along the ticker, you know, the before the days where everything, all the news was on your phone, I saw across the ticker that the Orioles had signed Aaron Seeley. And at the time, right. you know, Aaron Seeley's not, a Cy Young candidate, but he was a solid big league pitcher. Right. And one of the discussions at the time was, what are, are the Orioles going to be able to compete? What direction are the Orioles going in? And when they signed Aaron Seeley, I said, well, if they're signing Aaron, then they're obviously going to sign Mike, and now they've got you know two front-line starters. And, and then Seeley failed the physical or something. I don't, yep, I don't remember they, what happened. They reneged on the, the contract offer because he didn't pass their physical. Yeah, yeah and when that fell apart... Then I thought uh, Mike might not be in Baltimore. Anymore. Yeah, I gotta ask so, you. I gotta ask you one question, and this is, goes back to something you referenced in your column. I was in the press box, sitting in my normal seat, the night that he got hit by the line drive uh, off the bat of Alomar. Uh, I, I want to ask you not to relive bad memories, but just you're in the stands, you see that happen, your initial response because. I had people sitting around me, and I just yelled out, oh, my God. Well, my, really my initial one was when he, and if, if you want to look at the video, which I'm sure is out there, but uh, when, he went, when he went down, I could see that he kind of half rolled over. Mm-hmm. And so I, ne- I knew he was awake. Like, my immediate thought is, like, he's not dead. Because right. I saw him move. So then... Um, and, I, and then he got up and walked off the field with Richie holding the, holding the towel to his head. So at that point, you know, he didn't go off on a stretcher. He didn't go. So then you knew it was just an injury and how bad was it? And was it his eye? And was it, you know, that. So, and when I got downstairs and then they had him on the table and they were, and I remember the first thing I said to him is, did you get his contact out, his contact lens? And they said, yeah, we got his contact out. Mm. And then, uh, you know, it was just x-rays, and it was, um, they, they x-rayed, they said his forehead looked good, and his, his nose had, was broken a little bit, but, um, and that, it, so, it wasn't, I want to say it wasn't bad, because it was bad, but it, there, everything medically was good, even from, the, from what I could see in the crowd. He's awake, he walked yeah. off. So, and when we got to the hospital, they're like, yeah, you know, he's, he's lucky and, yep. um, and everything should be fine. So there was never those, 
you're not sitting in the waiting room where it's touch and go and you're waiting for the doctor to come out and give you good news or bad news. So it, it sucked. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It was, it, it, I don't know. As, as yeah. grotesque as it looked, and as, it's more scary to talk about it than to kind of relive it because it, it was bad, but it, 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 you always, it, just never, it was never that bad because all the signs weren't that bad. We're talking with Mark Mussina, and to our listeners and our viewers on Facebook Live, if you get the chance, uh, go to, just go to Google and type in Finality of Immortality, A Brother's Emotional Journey. Finality of Immortality, A Brother's Emotional Journey. Uh, Mark Mussina has written a beautiful piece uh, about his brother and uh, rooting for him for as long as he has. Mark, I was really touched, and I know uh, Steve Jeppe and I, he sent me the piece, and he lost his brother a few years ago, a good bit older than you guys, but it really touched him. And what really hit me in that article was how you've been rooting for him for so long, and the Hall of Fame vote, in a weird way, ended your rooting for him. In other words, there's a, there's a hole now for you, isn't there? Well, that's, that was the whole um, gist of the, yeah. of the article, the, the finality of the immortality. That, you know, even last year, you know, I'm tra- and there's, there's fewer. You know, when he's, when he's pitching and you're, you're hoping that you leave spring training, you're hoping he makes the all-star team. You know, that's, that's the, the immediate goal. And so you're rooting against Randy Johnson and you're rooting against Roger Clements and you're rooting against, you know, all these guys, not just because they're playing on the wrong team, but – you're rooting against all because he has to finish. You know, if he's one of the best seven starters or best five starters or whatever, he's going to make the All Star team. So I spent not only his whole baseball career rooting for the Orioles and rooting for the Yankees and rooting against the Red Sox and rooting against the Blue Jays and all those, but these individual pitchers that I'm rooting against Jack McDowell and I'm rooting <laughs> against Mark Burley and and every day I pick up the Baltimore Sun and I'm like, who's pitching today? And these are the guys I got to follow. And even after he stopped, I'm still watching the, the Bartolo Colones and the C.C. Sabathias and the Justin Verlanders and the Clayton Kershaws and the John Lesters. And, and you know, I watched Jamie Moyer get close. Jamie Moyer ended yeah. up with 269 wins. Mm. He got one short. Sweet. And um, so, so it was. It still gave me this rooting interest. Um, it, was, it was faded, and it wasn't as daily, but... It was still there, and I knew every time Justin Verlander took the mound. I knew it. And now, when I wake up this year, I, I don't. It'll be interesting to see how how die hard I follow it because, like I, I told, I, I think I told Glenn the other day, Justin Verlander can go twenty five and out, and right. it doesn't matter. You know, Mike's reached this milestone, and he's never coming out. So, um. So it has been. It will be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how much, um, how I watch baseball because I'm sure I, I'll still watch it. Sure. But how I watch it will be interesting. Well, it'll be, it'll be thirty. He'll be thirty four coming up uh, this year when the season starts. But one of the people I think you should watch is uh, Max Scherzer down in DC <laughs> because well, see, I- you know I, I said to Max at at Winterfest down down in D.C. this year, I said, look, I grew up watching Jim Palmer. I watched Mike Messina. 
God, you guys are old. Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I, did I, I was just thinking that. And I, and I said, I watched Mike Messina. I said, I've, you know, certainly Roger Clemens and some other great names. I said, but right now, I said, you've got to be the best right-hander I think I've seen pitch because I've seen this now Mark day in and day out whenever he takes the the mound. And there's been, there's been you know, Cy Youngs. There's been – uh, no hitters, mm-hmm. and and he's There's been, been the fabulous. Yeah. Games, yeah. Yeah. He, he's all right for himself. Um, <laughs> when I think of, when I think of baseball now and, and the pitchers, I think Kershaw's a lock. I think Scherzer's a lock, and um, I think um, Verlander's and I think close. Verlander's a lock. Yeah. And I think Sabathia's probably not uh, as slam dunkish of a lock as those guys because the last few years have been so injury riddled for him but he's going to get in and he's real close to a lock so those are the yeah i mean they just there there's a scherzer and kershaw and mostly verlander's interesting because verlander's thrown up some clunkers in the middle of his career right like and like greg maddox never did and pedro martinez never did um so but those are the guys uh, of this era that are what those guys were, the Randy John. You just, every time they went to the mound, you, you were like, well, they're, they're probably not going to lose. So, but but yeah, I agree I with you. I think Verlander has to have a couple more good years to solidify his, his spot. He, because of the no-hitters, I think. Yeah. And because when he was young, Detroit was there on the map, and, mm-hmm. and now that he's, he's gone to Houston. But even a buddy of mine just pointed out the other day, when you look just even a year and a half ago, when he he got traded to Houston midseason, the first half of the season in Detroit, he wasn't very good. No, and that then was... he went to Houston and had a rebirth. I, I I've made the point with each of our guests today, and I'm wondering because you followed your brother so closely, the the stat that has amazed me more and more as I study him was that the Orioles in his ten years in Baltimore were a five eleven winning percentage. Mike's winning percentage in Baltimore was 645. I find that just incredibly remarkable that he outpitched the outcomes, the average outcome of his team by, you know, 125, 135 points. And when you look at the first three or four years in Baltimore, how many bullpens did uh, they blow leads for Mike? Yeah. <laughs> i tell you, I, I got a funny story for you that um, – when, when I, after I wrote the article, and, and after he got in, he, I've heard from so many people. And um, one of my buddies from high school sent me a message. And he said, um, he said, I remember a time when Mike was just young and he just broke in. And he said, I showed up at your, at your house and I was looking for you, but you were in Baltimore. <laughs> and uh, so your parents let me in and I walk in and it's the ninth inning. And Mike had a two-run lead, and the reliever, who I don't know who, I assume it was Olsen, but I don't know who it was. And he said, and the reliever walks the first batter. And my buddy says, so I open my mouth and say, well, that sucks, because now one swing of the bat, and Mike loses his win. And he said, the next guy hit a two-run homer, and he said, I just wanted to curl curl up and crawl under the couch. But, yeah, it was, um, I I tell you, the the most, it's one of the boringest stats you'll ever hear. But it's the one, the more I look into it, the more impressed I am with it. You think these starting pitchers and these great pitchers go out and win three out of every four times they take them out. Mm -hmm. And it's just not like, you know, a 17-game winner or an 18-game winner wins like half of his starts. 
And when you look through, Mike won 270 games and he started 536 times. He pitched 537 games. So he won slightly more than half of his starts. Yeah, that's and when rem- you look remarkable. Down through, yep. There aren't many, like guys like Tom Glavin aren't even close. Yep. And, you know, Sabathia was there, but now with each passing year, he's slipping away. There are very, very few guys who, ha- who can say, I won 50% of the time that I started. And it's of all, like, you know, the Cy Youngs and the Gold Gloves and the, and the wars and all the new stats that come out, it's a very boring, you're like, oh, 50%, who cares? But it, is, it puts him in very rare air especially in the modern era. Well, it's interesting you say, you know, he's he's there now and he's not coming back out. You know, I, all the people, Mark, and you've known me a long time and you know what a backer of your brother I am, all of these people that have told me, you know, no way, he's never getting in. This I knew from the day he walked off the mound in Fenway after winning his 20th game that he was eventually going to get in the Hall of Fame. Now, Stan... Thinks he was a first ballot Hall of Famer. I've felt I, that way all I, along. I never thought that, but I knew he was a Hall of Famer. And for all these people that use, you know, you're crazy, this and that. I said, and, I, and I've had conversations with people online this week, and I said, I don't have to worry about it anymore. I was right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, I, and isn't that I, the important thing? Well, right? no, no, no. In this in this particular case, now you were right. You know, and I was, I was right. right. And well, I still am right that he belonged. He belonged in there. And this is not a knock at Tom Glavin, because when you get to, into arguments at this level, it sounds like I got a bad mouth Tom to make my point. But your brother was the better pitcher of the two. Yeah, he had he had a lot of better numbers. But it, they are hard arguments to make because people just say, "Well, Glavin was a five time twenty game winner. He won two Cy Young." Right, right, right. And it's hard to get past that. So yep. yeah, there's and believe me, there have been a lot of stats that I've seen online this week that I wanted to chime in on, but I just can't because, you know, I, I can't. You know, and, but, and, and the thing is, it doesn't matter now. Yeah, it, it doesn't. doesn't. Hey, I it wanted doesn't. to ask you one, one, two quick things, really, is you, you, hit, you said something that, that really meant a lot to, I think, Baltimore fans, uh, and it, it rang true for me. In other words, the Mucina family feels very fondly about their time in Baltimore. Well, I told, I, I told Glenn this the other day. My Mike's youngest son um, is now, he just turned 16. Right. So he remembers a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but he doesn't remember that much. And he's, now, he's an Orioles fan. You know, mm-hmm. he, well, he was a Manny Machado fan. Now I'm not sure where <laughs> that ends up. But, um, but. You know, so like we, Mike has has certainly been to Camden Yards yep. since he's retired more than he's been to Yankee Stadium, and it is not, um, you know, it's it's and it's where he started. And yep. there were, you know, there were there were World Series runs in New York, and he won twenty games in New York. But in '97, they were the best team in baseball, and as disheartening as the end was. You still look back and said, you know, it didn't end the way we wanted, but we were a great team and had a great year. And again, twenty-one, thirty-one, and and just he showed up in in late ninety-one. But his first full season in the big leagues was the first season at Camden Yards. Camden Yards, yeah. And so that it, it was just Baltimore was a great run. It did, really was a great run. Did Sutcliffe mean a lot to your brother? 
I think Sutcliffe and Flanagan both did. Yeah. I think he was really, um, because even when Mike showed up, he was a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't just a, a guy that, that reared back and threw it. So to have two veteran guys like that who were both Cy Young winners, mm-hmm. who were both pitchers, even yeah. though they threw harder when they were younger. But so to have multiple guys that you could just sit there and talk with about the game, uh, he was he was very lucky to have those guys there when he showed up. The last question I've got for you is when your brother decided to call it quits, were you surprised by the decision when he when he did? In other angry? words, angry? Was not, I no, angry? Yeah. Were, were you angry? <laughs> well, what's funny is the year before he'd had a bad year and he'd right. been hurt all year. Um, he hurt his foot in May, and it just it really limited what. And he kind of just battled through, and he ended up eleven and ten, and it was it was a struggle. He had one year left, and the the legend had it was that he had just told people, "I'm playing out this year, and whatever happens, happens, and I'm done." And and I thought from a psychological aspect that was a very intelligent way to go about mm-hmm. it. But then when he starts winning, like why would you quit now? <laughs> and all we're going through the summer, our little league presence telling us Mike told me he's done and my mom's telling Mike and I just kept saying there's no way he's done. Why would you quit now? Right. And uh, so when it was over, like it, kind of everybody around him was happy for him, but there was I want to say there were two of us, and now I don't even remember who the other one was. I sat down. I made up a fake business meeting with him. I was like, hey, we need to talk about stuff. And we sat down. I said, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, I'm done. I, 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 don't, I don't need to do it anymore. I don't want to do it anymore. You know. And it was funny because we, I, we talked for like 45 minutes, and I kind of kept asking that same question. Are you sure? I told him. I said, you're going to wake up next June. And you're going to be sitting in your living room, and you're going to say, why am I not in some hotel in Kansas City? Right. And he's like, no, I'm really not. And while we were talking, his phone rang, and he just talked real quick. He goes, yeah, I'm talking to my brother. Let me call you back. And he hung up. I said, who was that? He said it was Brian Cashman. <laughs> and I said, call him back. I'll wait. Call him back. But So, yeah, I, I mean, I was, but I wasn't. The thing that really surprised me was there was never a moment like he was done. He knew he was done. And I thought, you know, it's when it got to spring training that he would regret it, and when it got to the season, he would regret it. He and did. Because even when these seasons end, they're, done, they're tired. October, November, they're tired. They just want to come home and be a bum. But then, by like, right after the new year, you get into January, and the workouts would pick up, the intensity would pick up, and you could tell he was itching to go. He was always itching to go. And I thought he would itch to go again, and he never did. I told, I told Stan this earlier. I said... We all ask Mike at various times in that year, you know, are you coming back, this and that. He's, well, I don't know. You know, we'll have to see how it goes. Uh, I go up that night into the skybox to see Jane and the kids, and I said to her, I said, how you doing? She says, great. I'm finally going to get my husband back after this year. <laughs> and you knew. You and knew. I knew right then. <laughs> yeah, they. he said it. And I, I just thought, and I thought, too, like boxers say this, rock bands say this. Yep. You know, but then when you get back and when it's Thanksgiving and you've been home for two months, because the season's a grind. Yeah. Just the, the travel of it. And, the, and I thought when he got home for two months, he would say, you know, why not? One more year, why not? And that's what, that's what I thought. But he said, no, I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm good. I'm done. I'm good with it. And, and he was. Did he have much of a relationship with the boss? George Steinbrenner. You know, I don't know. I don't. 
I don't think at that point, I'm not sure how much George was around. Yeah. yeah. Um, I know the kids were around, and, uh, but I, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, because he'd been getting older, and I, I, don't, I don't remember when did George pass away. How long has it been now? It's got to be 10, 12, it's got to be yeah. 12, 13 years probably. I, I think he was much less of an active role yeah. at that point than, than at least a daily role. Mark, thanks so. thanks so much for coming on and spending some time with us and sharing these thoughts. Uh, look forward to talking to you more as we build up to July. All right. Hey, I appreciate it, man. Uh, article, you. seriously, really one of the best things I've uh, ever read. Well, hey, I wanted to thank you if I had 30 more seconds. Last year, I, I finished a movie script, and I, I sent people, I, I sent a message on Facebook that said I needed somebody in the Cubs organization. And, Stan, you gave me the contact that we all, an old friend of Rick Vaughn, at, with, uh, yeah. yep. that had been with the Orioles. And I just wanted you to know that it's not, it's, we're making slow progress, but it's, it's, a lot of it is because of you. And I've met with Rick, and I've met with Joe Madden now, and, um, and I want to thank you for that. And if it ever does get to any fruition, you will not be forgotten. All right. Mark, uh, I've been a big fan of yours. You know we go way back. And uh, I'm very happy for your family and for your brother. Hey, I appreciate it. All right. See you, Mark. Thank you, you Mark. Later, Bye. guys. Bye. Terrific guy. He Terrific is. guy. He, yeah. he used to be a talk show here in Baltimore and uh, used to work over with Nestor. And uh, I, I remember. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, it's interesting. Because if he wanted to do this, he could have done it. He could have been very, very good at this. And, you know, I tried to get him a gig, believe it or not. You know who I tried to get him a gig with? I called up Jim Traber. Mm-hmm. And, oh, I, and, and in Oklahoma City, right. I think he had become the program director out there. Well, he had I his said, own show for a long time, too. Traber was yeah. a talk show yeah. guy. I said, I got a guy that I really think, I don't know if he'll move from the East Coast. He says, have him call me. And I gave Mark the number, and I don't, I don't think it was in him yeah. to do it. I think he was a family guy. And uh, that's a beautiful story about those two brothers. It really, it really is. is. All right, we're going to be back. Uh but actually, we got to tell people about the Costas, Costas Inn. Inn. Yeah. 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 All right. Nick Triantopoulos, Pete Triantopoulos, they treat you right when you go to the Costas Inn. 4100 North Point Boulevard because the food is great, the atmosphere is great, bands, live entertainment, Wednesday night, jazz night, first from, uh, Friday of every month, the Rat Pack is in there. It's great. And the specials. And the specials. Monday night is crab crab cake cake night. Tuesday night is rib night. Mm -hmm. Wednesday night is my favorite steak night. Thursday night is Jane's favorite lobster night. So we go out. It works well. Because I yeah. go out by myself on Wednesdays. Well, it's, and she goes it's the key to a happy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and Friday, there's a Pete's miscellaneous well, yeah, but special. But you have, you, have, you have specials on the menu every single night. Yeah. Uh, oyster stew right now oh, uh, is great. i got to get out there. Yeah. How and, long is the oyster stew going to be on the Pretty much all winter long. All right. Yeah. One batch. Although, they although, made one big and, batch. And I don't know whether it runs this week or not, but last week was uh, restaurant week. Yep. So they had a, an entire menu of nothing but restaurant week specials. Right. So, so. it's one, one big vat they made that's yeah. going to last the whole winter? <laughs> yeah. All right. The Costas Inn, located 4100 North Point Boulevard. The phone number for reservations or to uh, buy a gift certificate or ship crabs or crab cakes somewhere, 410-477-1975. Respect. It's more than a word. 
In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now, in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Score big at the Green Turtle with our legendary crab dip, juicy burgers, or any of our delicious boardwalk iced teas and lemonades. Bring the whole team and celebrate your latest win in our rent-free party room. Need to raise money for your sports league or team? Our Funds for Friends program has raised over $1 million for local sports organizations. Everyone is a winner at the Turtle. Visit thegreenturtle.com to find your local Turtle. Pressbox's annual Best of Baltimore Sports Double Issue is now available. Presented by Maryland Sports Commission. This issue recognizes UMBC basketball's Ryan Odom and Jarris Lyles as our local sports persons of the year. Plus, 60 more are in the spotlight as we look at the top people, performances, and moments of the year. Pressbox is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition as well as the best daily coverage of the Ravens, Orioles, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dine-in orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Section 336 here with all your Baltimore sports talk. The Raven season is now done, but the Orioles season is just ahead. We have a new GM. We have a new manager. We have a few new baseball players out there. Reason for optimism. I don't know if you can name any of those new players, and I think we won 40-some games last year. Yeah, but I remember a terrible year in 1988 where we were able to turn it around the very next year in 1989. Why not 2019? Yeah, why not? Why not check out Section 336 at Section336.com, Facebook, or on Twitter and iTunes as well. Just search for Section 336. What a sweet time to see our friend Steve at his Chick-fil-A restaurant in Nottingham Square. The chocolate milkshakes are the way they should be at Chick-fil-A, thick and chocolatey. But so is the peppermint chocolate chip milkshake, thick, chocolatey, and pepperminty. The strawberry milkshake is thick and very strawberry-y like it's supposed to be. Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square also has frosted coffee and ice-cold vanilla shakes. Plus, there's a cookies and cream milkshake. Cookies and cream! The Chick-fil-A sandwich is the best. The waffle fries are amazing. And at Steve's Chick-fil-A in Nottingham Square, his folks come around to check on you if you dine in. They refilled my drink for nothing the last time I was there. Do not leave hungry. Top off your next meal at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square with something sweet. Shakes, cones, and cookies. All done the way you'd expect from Chick-fil-A perfectly. Join Chick-fil-A 1 and score points every time you order for free stuff. Our Chick-fil-A is on Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. All right, we are back on the battle round. Uh, Craig, uh, glad you could make it in today. You're not going to be with me next week. Nope. And then you're going to miss... Then you'll be back the ninth, but then you're going to miss three shows. Right. All right. It's up to us. Well, we'll We'll be doing... Carry the show. We'll be doing the uh, Nats talk as Phil Wood is down at Austin P teaching his uh, normal springtime course. 
in All right. broadcasting. So I'll just take Brittany to breakfast and to lunch mm-hmm. yeah. next those three weeks, right? Bring your wallet, Brittany. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, are All you right. paying, Stan? Hey, we, uh, of course I'm paying, of course. Um, and you'll thank me, probably. Um, hey, thanks for tuning in. If you missed any of the show, it's uh, going to be on the archives at pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or you can watch it on Facebook uh, Facebook Live by going to facebook.com slash pressboxsports, and you'll see it there. Uh, we did an all-Mike Mucina show today, and we uh, it's not too late for you to like it and share it. Right. All right. Thanks. Have a great weekend, and uh, we'll talk to you next week.